Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Paula Kiley. I'm your city librarian and the director of the Milwaukee Public Library. And it is a pleasure to welcome all of you here to the Central Library for the inaugural event of Milwaukee's 11th Poet Laureate, the inaugural event of the 11th Poet Laureate, Dasha Kelly. with some thanks because none of these things happen without the support and effort of a lot of people. And I'd like to start by thanking the friends of the Milwaukee Public Library. Our friends um, are the generous supporters of the Poet Laureate process. And with us today is our board president, Barbara Franchek, who's sitting in, standing in the back. Thank you for being here, Barbara. In addition to general support to the library, the Friends fund special grants that allow us to purchase new materials. They support and offer literary programs and serve as library advocates. They also operate the used bookstore here at Central Library. I'd also like to thank our selection committee. You'll, you'll be introduced to them shortly. A special thanks to Woodland Pattern who has been a partner on the Poet Laureate Project since the beginning. And I want to congratulate them on being a continuing force here in Milwaukee and throughout the country. And thanks to all of you for joining us. The Milwaukee Poet Laureate is selected based on their talent, achievement, their potential to expand the audience for poetry through their work and their dialogue, and their ability to represent the library as a member and supporter of the poetry community. Dasha is well positioned in all these areas. The Poet Laureate program began nearly 20 years ago when in 2000, John Cady was selected as Poet Laureate. At the time, the founding members of the project felt the impending explosion of technology and its impact on our lives called for a commitment to literature and poetry. How right they were. The project aimed to help keep poetry in the forefront of readers and others to balance a new and still relatively unknown technological world. In 2000, just 6% of US citizens were internet users, 6%. Today, most people realize the prevalence of technology on and in our lives. Smartphones are, smartphones are presumed essential tools of everyday living and the loss of a Wi-Fi connection makes most of us either frustrated or at least uncomfortable. This morning, as I sat with my coffee reading one of the national newspapers, a print version, I realized how absorbed I was in the range of stories the paper offered. And it occurred to me that the old adage that our most valuable resource is time is quite true. In a matter of a single hour, I read about the impact of PG&E's filing of Chapter 11, the new streaming services competing with Netflix, the risks of being too fashionable in the workplace, the passing of Gert Boyle, the tattooed tough mother of Columbia Sportswear, and the challenge of one woman keeping technology running while climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. 
I actually read each article from start to finish and read aloud the most interesting parts to my husband. So what does this have to do with poetry and our poet laureate? As we rush through our days and talk about the balance between work and home, I think it's also important to continue thinking about the balance between the ephemeral and those things that bring deep meaning to our lives and help us connect to humanity, our own and that of others. Poetry and literature are not new forces in that endeavor, but increasingly, they are powerful platforms that we need to connect to each other and find ourselves. Introducing us to Milwaukee's newest poet laureate is Rachel Arndt, librarian in charge of this beautiful central library. Please help me welcome Rachel. Thank you, everyone. Good afternoon. I'm so glad to see all of you here today. Um, I began my work on the Poet Laureate program back in December of 2018, which was a while ago, um, if you're looking at your calendar. And in the early days of visualizing what this program could be, um, our city librarian, Paula Kiley, encouraged me to think creatively about what this process could look like nominating our next Poet Laureate. And it was critical to us that this Poet Laureate had strong connections and relationships within our community. And so we looked to the community itself to help us nominate this next Poet Laureate. Uh, with the help of our own volunteer coordinator, we recruited a committee of people who were more than just readers of poetry. Um, they themselves are writers and poets who teach and inspire others through their own work. And they embodied the library's vision for a dynamic and community-minded poet laureate. Our discussions uh, were wonderful. We had a lot of late afternoon meetings um, after all of us had completed a full day of work. And I remarked that every time we left, I felt energized. Um, this was a wonderful group of people. We were also lucky to have the guidance of Susan Fear, a former, former poet laureate herself. She provided valuable perspective on the qualities that we should be looking for. So to my fellow committee members, I'm so proud of the work done to achieve this inauguration day. Thank you, Susan, Danielle, Tyler, Amanda, James, Keith, and Michael. It was my pleasure and joy to work with all of you. Um, and we had to keep this a secret for a really long time, it felt like. That was really hard. Um, it's no secret anymore who we're here to nominate and honor today. Um, we felt pure excitement about Dasha, who she is as a person and who she is as a poet. Um, prior to finalizing our recommendation as a nominations committee, the committee had these things to say about Dasha. Dasha is a true and skilled community organizer. There's strength on the page in her work and Dasha's words are devastatingly beautiful. Our committee's simple statements are proven true with just a glance at Dasha's history. And we're not gonna run through that whole bio because it's very long. You're a very accomplished woman. Um, <laughs> Dasha teaches, she performs, she creates. She has audience and students across diverse sectors of our community. Her published works have national, regional, and local audiences. Her programming efforts through her nonprofit, Stillwaters Collective, has brought poetry to thousands of young people. So the cornerstone of her work is engagement. Dasha creates so that other voices can be heard. Milwaukee Public Library and the Friends of the Library are honored to support Dasha's work to continue engaging community voices during this tenure. So today we are honoring the poet, 
the artist, the woman, and the change agent. I'm truly honored to formally introduce Dasha Kelly Hamilton as Milwaukee's Poet Laureate. Please stand. So Dasha has invited some people who are very special to her um, to read, so you won't get to hear from Dasha just yet, stay in your seats. Um, some very talented people will be reading for you, and then Dasha will share her remarks with all of us. Dasha 2005, and uh, I'm trying my best not to cry. <sighs> if uh, <clears throat> a lot of people know me from reading poetry in the city, right? And if I and and if it wasn't for Dasha, I wouldn't have uh, man. I'd have never found my voice. It's not really, um, it's hard to explain. But I'm very proud of my friend, and uh, that's the thing. So, <clears throat> let's try to read this. Um, oh, I'm sorry, I'm very proud of my friend, and um, let me try to read this, I'm sorry. <clears throat> um, in action plan. This is from a article in Old Milwaukee, February 5th, 2008. To be sure that it happens, I want to apologize in advance. Abundantly, humbly, tenderly, and with tears streaming slick across my face, I A P O L O G I Z E to anyone with the misfortune of being stranded with me in the icy dimple of an Arctic incline deep in the sinister thick of jungle extremes, clutching the rails on a hijacked passenger train, racing from an underworld hitman or navigating shark-infested waters in a raft we've made with Red Bull cans and wax dental floss. I'm sorry. Particularly to the people whom I treasure and love fiercely, but I will not be your sidekick of choice in times of epic crisis. And this sobering thought is what eventually swells in my mind while watching action flicks and thrillers with every heroic leap atop high-rise rooftops, every slug and gecko gobbled down for replenishing sustenance with every half mile of sprinting, sprinting for goodness sake, I shake my head at how utterly useless I would be in any of the sighted situations and silently pity the fool who would be stuck by my side. Perhaps it's true that I take my cinema a bit too seriously, but look at the lives I've saved. Plus, I've seen myself in near disasters, and these instances, my friends, demonstrates the vast possibility of hopeless impotence. When I lived in Chicago, for instance, I lived 100 paces from a train stop, blue line to Austin, hop, skip, and a jump two times to reach the front gate of my courtyard apartment. 
take another dozen strides or so to reach an entry to the stack of one bedrooms that held all my stuff on its first floor. One evening, I was pointing my key at the entry door, slack, Lock, I'm sorry, when a pair of hands materialized from the autumn chill and gripped my shoulders. The man's hands even gave a little shake for good measure. I stopped moving. Stopped blinking, stopped breathing. Damn, my boyfriend at the, at the time huffed in disgust. If that's what you're going to do when somebody creeps up on you, well, you're going to end up dead in an alley somewhere. Sigh, just one of the lesser 3,684 reasons he's an ex. I remember, too, when I was 12 or so, my younger sister was already asleep in the room we shared, and I had not long climbed into bed. My mother was out, and my father was in the bathroom across the hall. As I lay in my bunk waiting for sleep to pour over me, I heard a noise. It was familiar but unnerving. My body was tense with unease, and my heart skittered madly inside my chest. As soon as my father's shower ended and that bathroom door cracked open, I hissed an urgent stage whisper from behind the trim of my comforter. Daddy, he stopped, leaned into our room. Daddy, I heard somebody open the refrigerator. My father paused. A bearded string of questions balanced on his lips. He reconsidered, squelched a smile, and checked the house. We're all safe, he reported a few minutes later. I fell asleep, and he probably fell through the phone book looking for a therapist. <laughs> many, 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 many years later, many, many, many years later, I would lie awake in my king-size bed in my own home with my own children, sleeping in a room next to mine, and once again waiting for sleep to quiet the bleeping, blinking um, mechanics of my brain. Almost complete and tucking away the corner of my day, beginning to spin lightly into a powdery dream state, I heard a noise. I couldn't name it this time. In fact, it was less a sound and more like a sound breach, like some foreign mass displacing the weight of my sleeping home's quiet calm. All of my gener generators at full voltage. I lay in the bed, rigid, eyes wide and listening. Maybe I listened for sounds of stealth a menace, but nothing came. Nothing moved. No thing claimed the slight disturbance. Calming my nerves and breathing, closing my eyes, I cursed the paralysis that didn't, couldn't, force my muscles to contract and crawl from bed. Not to seek a crude weapon, not to gather my children, not to sweep the premises, not to, my, to phone my husband and ask him to come home directly. Rather, the fear was oppressive and my panic was molten lead expanding inside my chest and head, even artificially. Watching a movie, I sensed that weight. Like the unnamed sound, it displaces my internal constructions, including Darwin's flight or flight instincts. I'm, a, I'm not a scaredy cat, necessarily. I just just not sure my internal networking will hold up under such adversity. Emotional adversity, financial, legal, social, professional, been all those shows. But a bank hostage? A vampire slayer? Cruise ship refugee? Battling alien invaders for intergalactic supremacy? Nope. My bravery doesn't swing that way. Not to mention my superhuman is weird, is wired, I'm sorry, is wired for pretty not practical, which means our mountainside hideaway will be beautiful and homey while we starve to death. 
With our latest movie rental, I had to pause the disc and take hold of my husband's hands. I told him how much I love him and that if we were swept away in a rebel insurgency during our next vacation abroad, please don't mistake my whimpering and stumbling for any unwillingness to go all the way to the wire for him. I told him how I'd want to be the one tossing him a fresh box of ammo as we rifle our way out of danger. I'd want to. The eyes just don't look good. He kissed my forehead, pressed play, passed the popcorn. I knew he was accepting my in advance apology. I hope you will too. Dasha Kelly. McCadden and I have been around for 23 very short years and Dasha has been a part of my life for a full quarter of them. Um, I was afforded the opportunity to get to know Dasha um, in 2011 and since then she has been an amazing mother, a teacher, a confidant and especially somebody that will encourage you until the ends of time. Dasha absolutely is an incredible person, and I can't think of anybody more deserving to accept this. So thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of this. The piece I've chosen to read by Dasha Kelly is called Call It Forth. It is the title poem from her last chapbook, Top That. Hunger, desire, crave, dream, taste, imagine, call it forth. Wrestle, split, claw, release, scar, insist, call it forth. Measure, scout, construct, manifest, invent, call it forth. Conjure, command, affirm, ignite, seize permissions from the stars, claim your everything, divined and do, speak future truth, with ancient convictions. Call it forth, call it forth, call it forth. Thank you. everyone. My name is Dan Scheidel. I met Dasha at Racine Correctional Institution where I was finishing up serving a 20-year sentence for a crime I did not commit. I have since been released. I have been exonerated and <laughs> that wasn't the point. <laughs> But I met Dasha at RCI when she came in to do workshops, readings. She was part of our annual holiday, uh, Big House Holiday Hoo-Ha, where she brought in anywhere from eight to 14 individuals, writers, comedians, you name it, and they were there. 
and many of them returned many times. I met uh, Kima when he first showed up with her to do a workshop, which was very, very enjoyable. I am very fortunate to uh, remain close with both of them. Today I'm going to read history. He had a job collecting insurance payments, $2 a week. Drove a covered wagon to El Dorado searching for gold, died in the mines there. He poured wine on the Titanic, ate dinner with Dubois, one time. Forced the bank to open a checking account separate from her husband's. Cleaned the tire cage on the circus train, cleaned a whorehouse in Reno. Helped clean up the city after Katrina. Fell 40 floors from the new scaffolding of Chicago. Contracted polio. Lived near the internment camps and swore she'd heard them screaming. Worked the lights in Birth of a Nation. Worked at C.J. Walker's factory. Scheduled to work the day of Apollo 11, but his appendix burst. Burst through the banner at the Rose Bowl. Crossed the border without her family. Passed through Alice Island without his wife. Refused to cut his hair. Refused to burn her bra, was charged with war crimes, heresy, tax evasion, hammered wet metal into missiles, posted the bill of sale for slaves, showed housewives how to sell Tupperware, war, God, dope. Taught blind children to read with their fingers, hung laundry on the line before Harlem changed hands. Hate Asbury, Bronzeville, Raised babies with lead, filled with music, convinced the neighbors to mount their speakers in the windows, challenged the union to overlook her breast, overlook her boyfriend, the crooked angles of their legs. Prepared notes for Dr. King, repaired a trumpet for Miles Davis, signed warrants for the Salem witch trials, enlisted in the service. Registered for nursing school, ran moonshine. Collected shot glasses from all over the world. Always made pies for the bake sales. Never came home for Christmas. Died on Mama's birthday. Through the first rock of red summer, through the switch on death row, through Junior out of the house. Saved a man's life in the subway one day. Mailed his last dollar to help build the Statue of Liberty. Little red schoolhouse, I'm, I'm sorry. Memorized all of Chuck Berry's moves, Kennedy's speeches, grandma's recipes, bet against Joe Lewis, made love to Doc Holliday, the deacon and the pastor, Bruce Lee, Al Chave, Jimi Hendrix, planted the first orange trees in the city, was the first girl to wrestle in the district, first altar boy to break the silence, never told a soul about the operation, never responded, to the summons, never stopped going to auditions, never came back to town, stayed sober, stayed together, stank angry until they died, kept a vigil, kept the faith, kept a locket to remember, remember. You will be remembered inside of these intricate histories by someone, or maybe no one will recall that scar on your face. But your story cannot be erased. Your heartbeat is forever history. Forever history, you were there.
Hello, I'm Sandra Whitehead, and um, I want to speak a bit about Dasha's generosity and the great grand scope of her influence. Um, I was teaching in Lebanon in 2016 when a group of my students wanted to um, introduce spoken word poetry to Lebanon, which was, um, free, you know, they are in small groups, but not very extensive. So we had the grand idea of inviting Dasha to Lebanon, and, uh, and she said yes, and we were thrilled. And she went to, she visited each classroom besides doing a big performance and working with two universities there. She visited the classrooms and you could see her encouraging the students who were afraid to speak, afraid to do their own poetry, afraid to, to do it in English, which was the second language, so you can imagine their trepidation. And, and you know, to a person, they, everyone who wanted to try came up and, and did their thing because Dasha's uh, gentle, nurturing manner um, comforted them and gave them the courage. Um, while she was there, my husband, Aziz, um, was there, and Aziz is uh, from Syria, and he was so close, an hour away, but because of the war, unable to go. Um, we went out to dinner one night, and this is what uh, Dasha wrote about that evening. The serving dish dishes kissed at their edges, half of the menu beaming up at us, the other half on its way. My host coached my tongue around the Arabic names and the flavors meat in cherry sauce, mashed eggplant on flatbread, bulgar and many leaves of mint. I close my eyes in culinary bliss. Near our table, a man wearing a fez was playing an oud, singing Syrian folk songs. The father closed his eyes too, a beatific smile tethering him between our table and his memories. This food, this music, he said, this is from my home. His eyes were bright, but morning pulled at the corners. So together we all feasted. Dasha Kelly, thank you. Hi, um, I'm Leah Delaney. Um, I met Dasha back in 2009 or so. We were getting together this little organization called Exfabula, trying to grow community bonds together through the art of storytelling. And at that point, we were looking for people to join the fight in our mission. And Dasha was somebody that we heard about. And when you look out into a sea of people, it's like her head was ahead above the rest. And we're like, we want you, <laughs> please, and thank you. And I had no idea of the gravity of her contributions to the city um, at that point. And now, at this point, it's incredibly moving. Um, and I feel very honored to be standing here. I'm going to try to spout out my friend's words and try to do them justice. but. Um, I'm happy to see 
more than happy. I'm ecstatic to see that my friend is finally getting the recognition that she gets for her contributions in the city. Dasha, you have absorbed this flawed and beautiful city we call Milwaukee. And I'm glad to see that the city is absorbing you now and appreciating you. So I love you. Thank you so much. Everything they said. Um, I met, I met Dasha at, the, um, at Brave New Voices, which is an international uh, poetry festival. Um, and we, we met as chaperones. Um, you know, we met as chaperones and you know, everyone's there and, and we, all work, we all work with kids. You know, we all do the same thing. And it didn't take long to realize that she did, she, she, she has, she did that and. You know, she, she does, she, she has a way, you know, wrapping around a human um, in, in very nuanced um, and intentional ways that just I, I still am in awe of and um, feel honored to be able to support, feel honored to be able to see in, in very close proximity. Um, we, found a, we, found a, we found a photo of, um, like, you know, it was like a festival photo, so I don't know if you know if we were posing for this photo, but there was some people from the festival just snapping shots, and one of the photos came out, which would be like one of the first times that we conversed, you know, um, and Aaliyah was in the photo, you know, which, which is really special, because, you know, I've, I've moved, I live here, and I can kind of get an idea of, and now I now know the, pro have a face for the proper nouns, you know, and, um, and, and even have emotions connected to, the work here and, and all of the different intersections. Um, so, yeah. congratulations. We always go out, we're always on this side, so, you know. Six million ways to die, and, and I, I chose, chose to, to get, get married. married. Uh, Not that I hate my mate. I love my wife, because, because marriage, marriage is, is for life. life. It's just that sometimes life's a bitch. Oh, I know he did not. I said oh, life's no. a bitch, and then you die, and every, every now, now and then, then it feels like I'm dying, dying a slow death, death because, because love, love seems, seems to be the, the misunderstanding between two fools, because like two fools, we argue over foolishness. Like, we don't argue over the money. Because we ain't got none. We argue over foolishness like the, the dishes. dishes. And we don't argue about who's going to do the dishes. We don't argue about when who's going to do the dishes. We, we argue, argue about, about how, how to, to do, do the, the dishes. dishes. <laughs> and one time, all I said was that you fried the fish just a little too I hard. And now I haven't had fried fish in three years. Now I get fry, fry your own damn fish. fish. <laughs> and today, like every other day, we, we argue. argue. But the difference is, today, y'all, for once, I'm actually right. I'm talking about that deep down, off in your soul, right? So tonight, we're, we're gonna, gonna argue, argue fuss, and, and fight. Because I refuse to lose. And I am not giving in. We're gonna, gonna trust in that ridiculous rule that everyone gives you when you first get married about not going to bed with unresolved issues. So instead of sleeping, we're gonna verbally toss and turn all night. And right about that point that she accuses me of dozing off while she's still talking, our, our infant son, son Jonathan, Jonathan awakens. And she's like, go get him. Nah, you go get him. I went to get him last time. And now we're, we're arguing, arguing about, about who's going to go, go get, get Jonathan. Jonathan. She's <laughs> way more, more motherfucking mad than, than before. before. <laughs> so I just get up and I get ready for work. Now I'm at my desk working. No, I'm dozing. 
only to be interrupted by a phone call from her to remind me that we're, we're still, still arguing. arguing. <laughs> and like most men, at this point, I have no idea what we're arguing about. I just know that I can't lose. I'm tired and I'm worn. I am ready to rumble. Got, got this, this fire inside, inside my, my mind. mind. Only to get home and realize she picked up dinner on her way home from work. So we're eating off of paper plates, playing Scrabble. Having, having the, the best, best date, date we've had, had in a long time. time. And then it hits me. Opposites attract. And that she's the yin inside my yang. And if, and if there, there are 5,999,999 other, other ways for me to die, this is, is the one way, way I, I choose to do it. all the things. Um, it was important to me to not just share my work, and I'll share a few pieces, but to share what this journey has meant to me, um, and to share as best as I've experienced it how this journey happened. In fact, I have a poem in draft called How I Happened. I don't think I'll ever finish it, to be quite honest. Um, but the opportunity to share these words and to make spaces and to encourage folks to just try has been at the core of all these opportunities. And if I sat here and said, this was always a plan, I'd be telling a lie to everyone in this room. But it was being obedient to the things that never made sense. It was being um, honest about the words that I absorbed, the words that I shared, and the words that I decided to claim as true. And at each invitation, they were always an honor. And I had a friend say, oh, yeah, of course, you're always honored. <laughs> yeah. I'm always honored. I don't ever presume that someone's going to automatically allow me in their space. I don't presume that the words I share mean anything to you. I don't presume that I have to, I get to, I'm going to. So one, just of my personal construction into this damn city. So to strive and to be passionate and to be connected to so many phenomenal human beings is what keeps each step for me moving forward, which keeps every pin stroke happening, because the city won't encourage you until you make it. And so together, we make the city acknowledge our words. Now, that can sound political, that can sound like an activist movement, that can sound very meta, but I mean your coworker in the cubicle next to you. I mean your child who doesn't quite know where you came from. I mean that stranger on the bus, at the coffee shop, you will make them acknowledge you. And to do that, you have to respect and honor them. Everything you don't understand, everything that's unfamiliar, everything that you don't like, is information, is an opportunity, and more importantly, it's a whole nother human being trying to get through just like you. So to have these spaces, starting with these open mics, I hated people have heard me share. I didn't like poetry as a young person. They were confounding riddles of old dead white people, and I didn't know why we were punished to have to do them in school. Um, I've been a fiction person since I was 10. I've been writing stories since I was a child. And going to an open mic as a full grown up 
and hearing people that I can look at and they're using their words to tell their stories, to capture their bad day or talk about their great find. And I just saw how the room shrunk. And it was powerful, poems notwithstanding. And then you had poems that were phenomenal, but that human connection was something I hadn't seen before, because it was instant. And then the invitation was, well, how about we figure out this poetry slam thing? Poetry slam, what is that? What, other cities have poetry? What, they're going to, we can do that. Hey, poets, let's figure out how to get to Minneapolis and Chicago and all across the country and let's put these teams together. And it was making a space. And then the phone call came, hey, we heard you're doing these poetry slam things. We heard you do rope stuff. Could you come to our school? Sure, $50, yeah. <laughs> No doubt. What time? 1220? I'll be there. And immediately it was coming into a space and again respecting these young people, respecting this, these teachers. I am not a poetry expert at that time. I couldn't have listed 10 poets that were live at that time, but I know how words work and I value the invitation. So what I do know is about thinking and about imagining and let's use these words to do that. So I'll go into class and say, hey, how many of you in this class are creative? How many of you have good ideas? And maybe a third of the hands would go up. And we're talking elementary school. I remember going to a kindergarten class. And in kindergarten, I'm, you're five-year-olds, why are, why are you, we're going to go on a spaceship. Where do you want to go? To the store? No, 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 baby, no, 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 no. Where do you want to go? To my grandma's house? No. <laughs> sorry, baby, I'm sorry. Miss Dasha, Dasha got a little upset. But starting to pay attention to the things that were happening and the things that weren't. So to be in a room of five-year-olds who should be bustling with all kinds of imagination, I started doing research on why am I getting these invitations and why is this working and what is different about it and learned about play and imagination and the impact of language and creative writing and realized this is about efficacy more than just esteem. So there have been, for easy math, a thousand people who have done the, um, the the ode, my ode to my hand workshop. And most of them will never remember that poem because they don't have to, but they remember that one thing they did that day that they said they never could do. And that feeds into the next thing they're gonna do the next day that they thought they would never do. So it becomes these little seedlings that you plant in someone's mind that yes, you can, and you are, and you should. And you might not win, but you are allowed to try. So then moving to the invitation of, hey, we heard that you do these workshops. Could you come to Racine Correctional and do a poetry workshop? Absolutely, we'll come check that out and had a whole plan, gonna do a workshop and then we'll do a slam and show the brothers how to do a slam at the end of the day. And it was powerful from the start. So by the, we had the workshop in the afternoon. When I came back that evening, I had an assistant, I had a bout manager, I had someone who was ready to feature and we said, we can't let this stop. So pros and cons was born and <laughs> Mr. Scheidelme came up with that title. Mm -hmm. And again, meeting these humans with this human respect, the generosity that the men showed me. I went back as often as I could. In early years, it was every month, and I would bring our features that came to town. We would travel and do performances there, workshops, and then the Big House Holiday Show would start. And now we're at the point, what, 15 years later, and the, they have shows that they put on themselves. They have a writing group that they meet regularly. They have writing assignments. They check each other. Um, they have themes. Uh, they invite other poets. We now are in a, a close partnership 
partnership with Racine Writers and Poetry Community, and we're at this, at this point looking to build an expansion. So when these brothers come home, because they come home, when these brothers come home, how can they create a pros and cons and have this fellowship, this sanctuary that they can create and expand that? So people know I reference my brain as my, this hamster. Stays in its wheel, doesn't stop. Um, and all the places that me and this hamster have been able to travel with these words, with poems, with no expectation, but an invitation. And then we figure out what happens from there. <sighs> I have a passport with some stamps on it. But in addition to being able to travel to Lebanon and work with the students at, um, at the, the University of Sandra, I am an embassy arts envoy with the United States government. <laughs> also, by invitation, I went to Nebraska and spent a week as a teaching artist there and went to visit different schools and performances and the director of that program said, hey, listen, I get invited to do these shows. I went to, um, I believe he went to India. And he said, if I ever, I knew that if I ever got another phone call, the way you worked with these students, the way that you made, held space, that you had to go. And the way the universe works, he called within six months. Hey, you want to go to Botswana? Uh, yes. <laughs> What's the date? Does it matter? Who, yeah, that, does it matter? We will, whoever's birthday it is, it'll be all right. <laughs> so I was able to travel um, to Botswana and we were, we did, classes um, in the city, in the remote areas, in the rural um, villages, and then we traveled up to a festival. And we did a performance at a university, and, these, and they brought me back. I mean, the other two guys were good, but they brought me back. <laughs> so I've been able to travel to Botswana three times as an envoy doing this type of work. And then we um, had an election that changed our relationship with the world. We'll talk about it another day. <clears throat> but I do look forward to being able to continue and going to another country. Yes, there's language. Yes, there's culture. But there's still this invitation of this word. There's still this opportunity to figure out what we don't know. And, and it is an invitation to go from blank page to a thing. And all of the steps that it takes to get from blank page to a poem, to a Facebook post, to that resignation letter, it's a lot of decisions that you're making in the process. So even getting to that poem, you're deciding, well, how do I feel about jelly beans? When was the last time I treated myself to something sweet? What do I feel about satisfying an urge or a sweet tooth? How do I take care of myself? That was just happened right here. So imagine it an intentional conversation when you just leave space for questions and invite people to think together. So that's what we're going to do for these next two years. Um, with me as your poet laureate, we're going to think together. We're going to talk together. And we're going to use the beauty of poetry and lyricism and the conundrum and the questions of how to puzzle those words together. It's the puzzling part where the art is. The poems that we all read and celebrate is a proof of the work. And we love those too. But I'm really excited about having us get into the work part. So we're going to have a series called Poemologues. And Poemologues will be conversations that we do th through poem. It's an element of a course that I taught with at Mount Mary um, a few years ago. So at the end of the week, we're talking about body, for example. You would all, because we're all going to do this together, you would all go find a poem. See? I just saw a lot of shoulders go, oh, she's not going to make us write. Okay. <laughs> go find a poem, because guess what? whole bunch out there. And then you can introduce yourself to writers that you haven't read before. If you're not a poetry person, it's a way to go specifically find something that speaks to you. Then you post your poem that you found that says something about body. 
maybe 100 words about why you picked it. One of my favorite examples, there was a woman in the class, she posted a poem about um, someone getting their period. And for her, she was um, a grandmother, she was, I wanna say in her mid to late 60s, she said, in my day, you pretended like this never even happened. So the generations now, what women are able to talk about, how forward you're able to be, how much we're able to talk about the things that we go through. And this is as women in the room, we remember hiding that little tampon in your pad and your purse, depending on how old you are. No one ever saw it, you never let it fall out. And that was an, a powerful statement that wasn't life-changing and it doesn't, it's not always contention, it's an observation that she made that fell into a really rich conversation that we had. So that's what I'm hoping that we're going to have together. Rich conversations, something to put something on your mind, go, huh, I never thought of that. You may not share it, but you had a seed planted. You were given the invitation from someone else's words. How's that sound? Okay. I'm just taking a minute to breathe. My husband taught me that. Not how to breathe, but. <laughs> but he tells me often to breathe things in. Um, when I'm looking through this room, one of the most exciting things that I'm most proud of are the human beings and the friendships and the partnerships and the projects and the failed efforts and the amazing successes that have happened with humans in this room. Um, one of them I was able to make my life partner. All of you are my life partners, but I sleep with one of you. <laughs> She said out loud in the library. <laughs> um, and I, am, I appreciate all of you being here today, but mostly I appreciate all of you being here with me throughout this journey. Um, it does feel hard and it can seem lonely and you're fighting through things that don't make sense and why would you... I'm looking in a room of people that also don't quit. We also don't necessarily know how or why. Um, and I know I can be a lot in my effort to not be a lot. And the folks that get that, oh, she's trying not to be a lot with all of her allotments. <laughs> um, but I'm aware, I'm self-aware. Um, and you've been generous to me. As hard as the city has been, the people of the city have been generous to me um, in ways that I usually don't expect, um, but in every way that I appreciate. And I'm gonna hug everybody before we get out of here. Um, I most appreciate my readers. Thank you. They picked the pieces that they liked. Um, and I picked the people that were just, they tell, you tell my journey, and together we tell this story of what these words can do. So I love you. Thank you. I'm going to share some words now, OK? Um, this. Um, one that's a favorite, a favorite piece, and then something that's newer. That's a, it gives voice to what you've shared in the invitation. I spend a lot of time in my bathroom mirror these days. It's enormous. I painted and mounted it myself, hired a handyman to install the vanity lights. I'm willing to engage experts. Somehow, this does not feel the same as asking for help. Black woman, is my mother wielding grace, guerrilla tactics, and fairy godmother goodwill all in the same afternoon? Black woman, is my grandmother exacting her own resurrections and revenge in the form of success? And black woman, is stubborn love extending again and again a well-bitten hand? I hear the cadence of their steps when I'm out in the world, patent leather, peep-toe wedges, galoshes, sneakers, fuzzy slippers. 
I don't move with the soundtrack of legacy, but the arc and lilt of their melody play on a loop. Like them, my skin is imbued with pride, satisfaction, fulfillment, and exhaustion. Is that what black woman means, being exhausted? I might be willing to be half as black if I could be half as weary. Quote, you come from a long line of women who get shit done, end quote. I said this to my oldest daughter when she was 13, the same age I was when those dots connected. They didn't arrange themselves for me into a path, but they widened my can of possibilities. I didn't have all that fancy language then, but I understood that I had choices. Life is dealing yourself good choices. Black woman is bending the bad ones into charm jewelry. I spend a lot of time in my bathroom mirror these days experimenting with natural skincare. Honey, egg whites, avocado, oatmeal, even milk of magnesia. <laughs> Quote, when you know better, you do better. And I try to do better every day. Sometimes trying is a feat of its own. With so much better stacked in piles all around me, better eating, better income, better dreaming, better staying in touch with friends, this season, I'm only committed to better ingredients. When I'm alone, I give myself permission to stare into mirrors. The one in my bathroom has the best light. I bask in my meanness, celebrate my journey to this reflection. I don't mind the approaching wrinkles, the promise of a smile around my eyes, I love the way my grandmother's face would fold and unfold when she laughed. The backs of my hands are corded with the patterns of my mother's veins. They are elegant and strong like hers. I think I always knew this woman in this mirror, jostled and chipped, was swelling inside me. I think I always feared the hemorrhaging and splitting of skin required <clears throat> to get her here. I marvel at how smoothly the stars are fading. When I'm alone, I admire my curves, my bulges and blemishes and gray strands and the soft shadows settling under the contours of my face. My face that is three generations young, old, seasoned, I like to say. When I'm alone, I do not mistake my appreciation for surety or arrogance or completion or luck. When I'm alone, I do not mistake my existence at all. Out in the world, I'm careful not to insulate an admiring gaze or my speech or my curiosities or my fist pumps or my weeping. When I'm alone in my mirror, I make myself promises. I promise more movies, fewer emails, longer baths, and new words. I promise to keep my heart in my left hand so it can be free, but I can still watch it. It's such a rambunctious thing. Some of these are promises in progress, but I make them all in good faith. I'm faith when I'm alone. I'm peace when I'm alone. I am beautiful, I am wise, I am gentle, I am quiet, so surprisingly quiet. I am listening to the murmur and the meandering of my thoughts. I'm floating when I'm alone. I'm smearing the foodstuffs on my face and in my hair. I'm flossing and exfoliating, peering into the eyes of an anxious preteen who refuses to leave me. I'm welcoming a new face that is mine, but not really. I spend a lot of time in the mirror these days. It's an exercise that feels like prayer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> On the last
last one I'm going to share is what was included in the invitation. Um, I just like to layer my voice on it so when you pin it to your wall and tell people where you were today, you can hear me saying it to you. Life in motion. I see you trying to snip yourself free from the clash of fabric patterns outside the outline of your fierce and stunning soul. Coast be not ocean, edge be not your end. I smell the salt water in your conversation, a slow leak of truth from the corners of your grin. I see you fumbling to wrap yourself in the wind, but I know a costume when I see one. You carve your journey through fire, blaze ash compacted in your chest, footsteps forged into scorched earth, rising like breaths of sage. Glancing backwards will still be an inclination. Forward is your instinct. I see you hobbling together a truth of your own, reconsidering the broken pieces, polishing the gemstones in your scars. You are incomplete and you are the universe. You are an ever evolution, ever evolution. You are, thank you. Thank you everyone so much for being here. I also want to thank Aaliyah, Mario, Dan, Leah, Sandra, and Kima for reading and performing so beautifully. Um, you made everything come to life. Um, once again, I want to thank the members of our committee. Um, my thanks to Susan, uh, one of our former poet laureates. I also want to thank and welcome Margaret Rosga, our Wisconsin State Poet Laureate. Thank you for being here today. On behalf of Milwaukee Public Library, the friends of the library, with gratitude for everyone who contributed to today's event, with gratitude for our time together today, what a memorable day, with gratitude for Dasha, and in the spirit of our community, I thank all of you for being here. Um, you're now invited to enjoy some refreshments, mix, mingle. The library is open until 5. Um, there are beautiful bookmarks to commemorate Dasha's tenure over on our table over here. Please come grab them. Um, thank you again. Thanks for being here.